Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. Now, what we are about to read, you need to understand that what we're about to read this morning, our text, was given hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this earth. And so what we're about to read this morning is a prophecy that in our day and time has come to pass, but when it was given in Isaiah's time, it hadn't happened. It wasn't going to happen for hundreds of years in the future. And yet this was the word from God through the prophet Isaiah. We're going to read verse 2 and then skip down to verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah 9 verse 2, it says this, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. In verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. As I mentioned to you, this was a prophecy from the Lord through the prophet Isaiah talking about the coming Messiah. And today we're celebrating Christmas because that was the fulfillment of what we just read here in Isaiah chapter 9. You know, taking time off from work to slow down, and spend time with family is very important. In fact, it's not something that has just that we've established because of Christmas or because of holidays. In fact, God was the one who actually came up with that idea. Uh, in the very beginning, when he established the Sabbath day, as one day a week we were to take time off to rest and to honor him, God understood that we are human and we are frail and physical beings and that we need time to slow down and rest. And then later on in Leviticus chapter 23, you can read that in your own personal devotions later on. But in that chapter, Leviticus 23, it lists the feasts that God established for his people throughout the year. These were times for everyone to stop working, to come together, to eat together, to rejoice together, and remember God's goodness. And some of those feasts lasted eight days. How many would like to have eight days off of work? Let me see your hands. Yeah. You see, God came up with this a concept. It was his idea because he understands that it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of life, that it's, time, it's important for us to take time off and remember the goodness of God. In fact, these feasts that God established were so important that when you read Leviticus 23, you'll see over and over again, God said anyone who refused to stop working and join the festivities was to be cut off from Israel. That's a pretty stiff penalty for not coming to the party, amen? And so, but again, the whole reason of this was because the festivities they had in the Old Testament were reminding them of the Messiah to come. 
Every one of them had an important significance pointing to Jesus coming. So it wasn't just a party. It wasn't just a get-together. There was special significance of it. Because they didn't have Christmas and Easter back then like we celebrate today. In fact, their feast reminded them that Messiah was coming. Today, we celebrate Christmas and Easter because the Messiah has come. Hallelujah. And that's what Christmas and Easter are about. But you know, man has added so many things onto these celebrations that they can become exhausting to us, even lose their joy if we lose our focus of these real meanings of these festivities. You know, often Christmas becomes a time when we overcommit ourselves to a never-ending to-do list. We make promises to our families, our friends, our co-workers, promises that often become burdens to us. Everything from decorating to shopping to wrapping gifts, attending parties, planning activities for the kids, cooking, on and on and on. And we run ourselves down physically, mentally, and emotionally. And we wonder, will it ever end? And can I tell you something? That was not God's design. These are things that we have added on to it. And that's what happens a lot of times. We take what God has established, and, and man will take what God has established, and we, just, we, we can ruin it sometimes if we're not careful. And so that's why we can make so many promises during the holidays that we can actually forget the promises God made to us, and he fulfilled them. We, even problems and heartaches can arise and threaten to take away our joy during this season. And because of those things, we need to slow down and remember what this is all about. And brothers and sisters, so today we're going to go back to the beginning of where that all happened. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that the serpent came and deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden into eating the forbidden fruit. And God was cursing the serpent because of that. And in the middle of the curse that he gave the serpent, he gave a promise in the middle of it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is the words of God. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity, which is hatred, a constant hatred, between you and the woman, between your children and her children. It will bruise thy head, and you will bruise his heel. This was a prophecy from the very beginning of the human race that God was going to send a redeemer, hallelujah, and that Eve's chance for revenge against Satan and her chance for redemption would come through her womb. And 4,000 years later, after that initial prophecy, Jesus was born of a virgin to save mankind from sin just like God said he would. Hallelujah. And you know, Satan, he would try to stop Jesus, but the best he could ever do was just bruise his heel. That's all he could do. But then Jesus came, and he was going to stomp on the devil's head. Hallelujah. Anybody glad that he's under your foot this morning? Give God praise. Hallelujah. That's the meaning of Christmas. In fact, the title of this message this morning is The Promises of Christmas. We need to remember the promises that we have and claim those promises. You know, sometimes we were reminded of these promises in the Christmas songs we sing. Charles Wesley wrote a Christmas carol years ago called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And in the fourth verse of that song, Wesley refers to Genesis 3.15, that promise. Here's the verse. The verse of the, core of the song says, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. 
rise the woman's conquering seed and bruise in us the serpent's head. Even Charles Wesley was reminded of how that Jesus, the prophecy was that Satan would just bruise his heel, but Jesus was bruised Satan's head. Now Jesus said this about Satan in John chapter 10 verse 10. He called him a thief. He says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. Satan repeatedly tried to destroy Jesus and to steal away what what he had and try to kill him, try to defeat him during his 33 years on earth. And I'm sure Satan probably thought he'd won the victory when they crucified Jesus on the cross. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death and defeated Satan, forever putting him under his foot and bruising his head, just like God said in the beginning. Hallelujah. And my friend, that's why sometimes when I'm preaching or when I'm praying for people, I'll stomp on the ground because I want to remind the devil of where he belongs. He belongs under our feet because Jesus stomped his head and the devil's been attacking you. Go ahead and stomp your foot right where you are. Remind him of where he is. Under my foot, devil. Hallelujah. Somebody give God a stomp and a praise. Hallelujah. Because he's under your foot. If you're saved today, he's under your foot. Now, if you're not saved, he's probably over top of you, pushing you down, trying to oppress you and depress you, and, but the devil's defeated. And today, before you leave here, commit your life to Jesus because the one who overcame the grave and Satan can help you overcome him as well. In the Bible, there are over 200 names given for Christ. Now, some are titles for Jesus, while others are concepts or descriptions of him. You know, in different times of my life, I have found him to be many things. I have found him to be my savior. I have found him to be my peace giver, my deliverer, my healer, my comforter. Jesus can reveal himself to us in different ways, in different stages of our life. And I don't know how he is revealing himself to you right now. I don't know what problem you're facing, but I want to encourage you this morning. Let him show himself to you, a different aspect of himself to you in the problem that you're facing. Now, our text from Isaiah 9, the prophet Isaiah gives five awe-inspiring names of our Lord that can encourage us and thrill us and fill us with hope all year long. Look again at verse 6. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. How many are glad that Jesus can actually control the government? Because we need some help up in here, up in here. Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. There's coming a time when the government's going to be on his shoulder. Ain't no party going to vote him out. Hallelujah. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now this morning we're going to take a look at those five names for Jesus. Because remember, this is a message from God through the prophet Isaiah to his people. So God the Father is saying, these are the names of my son, and you're going to know him when he comes because this is what they're going to call him. The first name is Wonderful. Wonderful. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
Now that's a great verse right there, but there's an interesting fact about this particular verse. That Psalm 107 repeats this same verse, word for word, four times throughout the chapter. Now today, we use repetition a lot in marketing campaigns. For example, when I say, I'm loving it, or just do it, you know I'm referring to McDonald's and Nike. Why? Because they repeat that phrase so much in front of us. And hearing the same thing over and over helps you remember it and builds an association with a product or an idea. Well, the Bible is the same way. The Bible uses repetition to emphasize the importance of a person or a theme or an event. So if something is repeated in the Bible four times, it is because God wants you to know it is very important. I'll give you a couple examples. There are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them tell you about the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is very important. The Ten Commandments are listed twice in the Old Testament, and Jesus quotes them twice in the New Testament. Four times in the Bible. They are very important. So this verse in Psalm 107 is repeated four times in this chapter. And the reason why is because we are to praise the Lord for his goodness and because of his wonderful works. My friend, has God done any wonderful things for you? You ought to give him praise because his name is wonderful. Now that word wonderful in Isaiah 9, you know, it was written, at the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so the Hebrew word for wonderful in Isaiah 9, 6 is the word pili. It means miraculous and marvelous. That's what it means. So God said, when my son comes, his name is going to be called miraculous and marvelous. And then we translated to English to the word wonderful. It refers to not only what he was going to do, but also who he was. Because the fact that Jesus came and was born of a virgin, that's miraculous. The fact that he lived a sinless life, that, my friend, is miraculous. The fact that he died a substitutionary death for the mankind, that is marvelous. And he rose again on the third day, that's miraculous. It wasn't just what he could do, it's who he is. He was both God and man at the same time. That's miraculous. It is wonderful. You see, he was man enough to fall asleep on a boat, but he was God enough to calm the winds and waves when he spoke the word. He was man enough to cry when Lazarus died, but he was God enough to raise him from the dead after four days. Are you hearing me today? He was man enough to get thirsty at a Samaritan well, but he was God enough to save her soul from hell. He was man enough to die on a tree, but he was God enough to rise in victory. He was wonderful fall and he can make the impossible possible I don't know what you're facing today but Christmas promises us he can make a way where there seems to be none give God a shout of praise because his name is wonderful God said his name is called counselor counselor Psalm 16, 7 says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. Hallelujah. Do you realize this morning that you can never tell God something he doesn't already know? And when he asks a question, 
It's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants you to come up with the answer. He wants to see how you're going to respond. In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, he would teach in parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And a lot of times he wouldn't explain the story. He would just tell the story. And it was up to the people, it was up to his listeners to think about what he said and come up with the meaning. And you see, he was counseling them by teaching them to think and to meditate on his word. Because the more you think about God's word, the more you learn from it. The more you study and read his word, the more you get out of it. In fact, you could read the same story ten times, and on the tenth time, you get something else out of it that you didn't get the first time. Why? Because God's word is alive and it's deep. And God wants you to search in the deep things of God. And if you lack wisdom, the Bible says you ask God, he'll give it to you liberally, and he will not rebuke you, is what James tells us. And he is the great counselor. If you need wisdom, he will counsel you. He will give you wisdom. He'll tell you what you need to do in your situation. Now, that word counselor can also mean lawyer. Here's some good legal advice for all of us. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men give into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, what's he saying there? What's the great lawyer? What's the great counselor counseling us in these verses? He's saying this. If you are one who judges and condemns others, you better pray that you never mess up. That's what he's saying. You you better pray you never mess up. Why? Because God watches what you say and what you do. And when you mess up, he's going to give it back to you the same way you dished it out. Because the way you dish it out is the way God gives it back to you. Now, at the same time, if you give mercy and grace... When you mess up, he's going to give it back to you. If you give judgment and condemnation, when you mess up, he's going to give it back to you. The same measure you give it is the same measure he's going to give it back to you. That's what he's saying. And my friend, that's from the great lawyer. That's why you don't need to keep your nose in other people's business. Keep your nose in your own business and your own house and your own family. Because I don't know about you, but my house and my family keeps my whole attention. I ain't got time for nobody else's business business. I wish I had an amen right there. That's good legal advice right there from the great lawyer Jesus. You see, he's the best lawyer you'll ever find. He is our counselor. And so whenever you're tempted to pass judgment on somebody, give them mercy, give them grace, give them forgiveness, because that's what God has done for us. The third name of Jesus is Mighty God. Mighty God. Psalm 98.1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. 
What does that mean? That means God has the strength enough to do what he says he will do, and he has power enough to be who he says he will be. He is the great I am. He is the mighty God. He is strong. He is courageous. He is powerful. If you're too weak to fight, he'll fight the battle for you. The battle is not yours. It's God's. He is the mighty God. He can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hallelujah. He is the mighty God. And the same one who is the mighty God became a child that was born for us. Let that blow your mind for a minute. The mighty one humbled himself and became an innocent, helpless baby. The angel Gabriel told Mary that not only was she going to bear the Son of God, but also told her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, was already six months pregnant. That's our mighty God. God can do anything. And then, angel, and then Gabriel said to her in Luke 137, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. I want to tell you this morning, whether you are barren and praying for children, our mighty God can give you your heart's desire. Whether you're needing a job this morning, our mighty God can give you what you need. If you need healing in your body, our mighty God can make a way where there seems to be no way. I'm telling you, our mighty God can do anything. I wish I had a witness in here. Do you believe that he's a mighty God? Give him praise. The fourth name for Jesus is Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. My friend, Jesus never had a beginning. When he was born... In Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. That was not Jesus' beginning. Jesus has been with God for eons. He had no beginning. God has no beginning and he has no end. Let that blow your mind. Because you see, everything in our life is based on time. We were born, we had a beginning, and we'll die. But you know, the thing about death, death is not the end. You see, we humans are never going to really die because the real you, your soul, is going to live forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. And the decisions you make in this life on earth determines your eternal destiny. So even though we did have a beginning, we will not have an end because the real you, your soul, was created to live forever. That's why we were created in the image of God. God never has an ending. And so from everlasting to everlasting, he is the everlasting father. He's always been and he always will be. The Bible calls him the ancient of days. And yet the ancient of days became an infant with an earthly lifespan. He didn't have to do that, but he chose that because he loves you and I that much. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's that word again, that he can give you everlasting life. He is the author of eternal life, and he will give it to those who put their faith and trust in him. Why? Because he is the everlasting Father. Hallelujah. And when he makes you a promise, it's an everlasting promise. Hallelujah. He's not going to break his word to you. The fifth name for Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The Bible talks about three kinds of peace. There is peace with God. There is the peace of God. And there is peace with each other, one another. That's what Jesus came to give us as the Prince of Peace. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God does not come by trying to live perfect, because you can't. Nobody's perfect. Peace with God does not come by never sinning, because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't come by promising to be good and be on your best behavior. That's not how it comes. You get peace with God by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace, and He can give you peace with God. And when you go to sleep at night, you know everything is all right because God is in control. And when you draw your last breath on earth and you, and you know death is coming, you can close your eyes and know that you've got peace with God. You're just going to fall asleep here and wake up in heaven because the Prince of Peace has given you peace with God. And then the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. No matter what crisis you're facing, the peace of God will keep you through everything you're going through. And then he'll also help you have peace with one another. Because when you trust Christ by faith, then God adopts you into his family. And here's the thing. If you're really a child of God, if you really know the Prince of Peace, you're going to be a peacemaker too, not a troublemaker. If you know the Prince of Peace, you're going to be a peacemaker in your home. You're going to be a peacemaker at work. You're going to be a peacemaker at school. You're not going to be a troublemaker. You're going to be a peacemaker because you know the Prince of Peace. And so you see, friends, you're going to build people up and not tear them down. You're going to compliment more than you criticize. You're going to love people the way that Jesus loves people because he's the Prince of Peace. And if you claim to know him, your actions will show that you, whether you know him or not. You see, Christmas reminds us that God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Because I don't know about you, but what I deserve because of my past and my sins I deserve to go to hell. My sins sentence me to death forever in hell. But you know what? I'm so glad God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Why? Because he's the prince of peace. And I want to ask you this morning, who do you need to make peace with? Number one, make peace with God. And then he will help you make peace with others. Because the spirit of Christmas is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. He who is called wonderful can make the impossible possible for you. He who is called counselor can give you wisdom and defend you. He who is called the mighty God can do anything you need. He who is called the everlasting father can give you everlasting life. And he who is called the prince of peace wants to give you peace 
today. These are the promises of God. And the promises of Christmas came through Jesus Christ. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.